Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Selling Greenville, your favorite real estate podcast here in the lovely upstate of South Carolina. I'm your host, Stan McCune, realtor, as always, right here in the Greenville area of South Carolina. You can find all of my contact information in the show notes if you need to reach out to me for any reason. Any of your real estate needs, I can help you with. Or if you just want to talk about the show, talk about the market in general, you guys know I'm accessible pretty much whenever you need me to be. I'm not a 9 to 5 Monday through Friday realtor, um, and I enjoy what I do. So I enjoy talking about it. I don't have a problem if someone reaches out and is just like, hey, I heard such and so about the market. Is this true? Feel free to. I enjoy that. Um, And I would appreciate if you guys could support the show. Tell me that you actually like the show, that you want me to keep producing content by subscribing, by hitting the five-star rating button, and by leaving a short five-second review. That is all I ask of you guys. I've not, I'm not hitting you guys up, begging you guys to send me new clients or to do this or that. All that I ask is that you guys do that and that you remind me if, or remember me, I guess I should say, remember me for any of your real estate needs. Okay, today we're going to be talking about the South Carolina Association of Realtors contract form, which is the predominant contract form purchase agreement that is used in Greenville. It's pretty much the only one that is used when there is a house listed on the open market for a lot of different reasons. One of them is not that South Carolina requires this form. That's a very important thing to know. I've heard multiple attorneys say you can write up a contract on a napkin if you want to. Now, that contract might not protect all parties, and there may be some ambiguities in there that allow one party to back out, potentially get their earnest money back or forfeit their earnest money or whatever the case may be. Um, But the point is that South Carolina does not require you to use a certain type of contract. But the South Carolina Association of Realtors has a lot of attorneys at their disposal, people that understand real estate. They have produced a contract form that pretty much every realtor in the upstate uses. And it is a neutral contract, supposedly. I mean, it's supposed to be a neutral contract. It's not designed by any one brokerage. My brokerage at one point attempted to design a contract that was better than this form. And other brokers rebelled because they thought that they were supporting uh, my brokerage. Well, uh, that wasn't the case. That was also a neutral forum. But the point is that there are politics between brokers and they don't want to seem like they are conceding uh, something to another broker by potentially using their form. There is some advantage to there basically being one primary contract that is used, and that is that all of us as realtors that are trained and that have educated ourselves on the form and that are in the market, we all know this form very, very well. And so uh, that is the advantage of just having one contract. We can speak the same language. We know exactly what to look for, what the important terms are. We know what the potential headaches are are going to be or what where the potential loopholes may be. And so that is something that is a very important aspect of us having a, a unified contract form. And I can appreciate that um, and completely understand the value there. Um, but what happens, as I just mentioned, we we do educate ourselves on the form. We we do have a level of familiarity with it. I mean I look at it pretty much every single day. Um, some of my some of my clients are even very familiar with it. Some of my clients that have done multiple uh, 
multiple purchases over the years, they know this form pretty well also. Uh, at least those that actually stopped to read it. Um, but because of all of that, when changes are made to it, it can kind of create some upheaval. Now, a few months ago, I indicated that there was some discussion about changing this form, specifically when it came to the inspection rights of the buyer and then the seller's responsibility to repair things after they're inspected. Well, that was officially ratified and will go into effect those changes in the month of June, in the middle of the month of June, mid-June. And so I, I promised you guys at the time that I recorded that podcast that if we got a date for when it was going to go into effect, that then I would record a show prior to that to discuss a little bit more of what I thought was the fallout once I actually got to see what changes they made. And here we go. I have gotten to see the changes. I have already had uh, a class on it where um, Austin Smallwood with the South Carolina Association of Realtors led the class, answered a bunch of, bunch of our questions. And I feel like I am ready for these changes to be rolled out here. I'm recording this in the month of May, but I'm ready for these changes to be rolled out when the month of June comes around. These changes are, are very interesting because it's unlike any other changes, at least that I've seen since I've been a realtor for six and a half years, because all they did was delete language. They did not add, at least as of the time I'm recording this, of course, they're welcome to change it between now and then. I don't think they will, though. They did not add any language. They only removed language. So a little history class. Um, the contract form, what, what we call Form 310, this purchase agreement contract that I'm talking about, um, for several years now, it has had three options. The options are due diligence, as is, and repair procedure. The vast majority of normal transactions, when I say normal, I mean not involving investment properties, not involving multifamily, not involving something that needs a ton of work, you know, a property that needs a ton of work, is down to the studs, whatever the case may be, just a normal person in a normal neighborhood selling a normal house to a normal buyer, right? Uh, nothing, uh, just what you picture when you picture someone purchasing a house that they want to live in, that type of normal transaction. Um, most of those normal transactions happened with, one, out of those three things, they each have a checkbox next to them, and repair procedure was the one that was checked. I'm not going to rehash everything that I discussed in the last podcast where I discussed this contract, um, but I will say this. I'll give you a quick summary. Repair procedure basically had nine categories of things that the seller must repair if the buyer's licensed inspector finds major defects with them. And these nine categories only covered the major things in the house, the AC systems, the plumbing system, the electrical systems, making sure the roof doesn't have leaks, et cetera, et cetera. Only the major things did not cover uh, ticky-tack things. And it specifically said that fogged windows are not included, that flooring and cosmetic defects and home maintenance things are not things to be included. It also did not include anything. It never had anything in there about appliances. And that would oftentimes cause grief to people if appliances were deemed uh, to not be functioning correctly. Well, unless the realtor had said added additional language that the appliances were to, to convey and be operative, 
they don't have to. They, they don't have to be operative. Um, they it might just be a, a stove or a range that just doesn't work at all. Um, but the seller is not obligated to fix that because it wasn't considered a major part of the house, one of those nine major systems. So that was what most of the contracts were agreed to, was the repair procedure. Basically, the buyer does their inspections. If they find problems within those nine categories, then they send a repair addendum to the seller, and then the seller either agrees to some or all or none of them, and then the parties have to come to an agreement on what repairs, whether they're they're on the same page with what repairs are done and how. Okay, so that was, it's kind of a, a middle of the road way of going about it at the end of the day. It's basically your, the buyer is protected that nothing major for the most part is going to be wrong with the house. Um, and the seller is protected for the most part that the buyer is not going to ask for ticky tack repairs. That was what they were trying to do with repair procedure. Unfortunately, neither of those things happened. Um, it, it turns out that you cannot cover every single potential problem with a house in nine categories. There's just no way. Um, and you also can't prevent a buyer from asking for ticky-tack repairs. Interestingly, the the repair addendum that is a document that we can all use in tandem with uh, this contract form, the repair addendum is just a big block, a big paragraph section of of a page it does it's there's nothing special about it you just write in it you can write whatever you want on there but in classes on how to fill out the repair addendum they told you to to draw lines on it and make it almost like a grid but then for whatever reason the south carolina association of realtors never did that they left it much more open-ended and to me that ended up being a problem because it ended up being so open-ended uh that People would just fill it out however they wanted to and respond to it however they wanted to. And subjectivity became the death knell of uh, of repair procedure. Too many disputes over what's contractual, what's not. Um, too many earnest money disputes over whether repairs that needed to be done were done or whether repairs that needed to be done were even asked. Um, and so... Ultimately, I think just after tons and tons of complaints, hotline calls, et cetera, et cetera, the South Carolina Association of Realtors has decided that they are going, that they are doing away with repair procedure altogether. And doing away with repair procedure, also, uh, they decided to do away with as is. As is simply means that you are not making the, the purchase in any way contingent on the condition of the home. Now, I've said before, there is a separate contingency for a termite and moisture uh, uh, inspection where the home has to be deemed to be free of wood infesting uh, pests, of moisture issues, etc., etc. That is a separate contingency, separate from anything in the inspection parts of it. Um, And that remains separate. So people will still have that as its own contingency to keep them safe from termite and moisture issues. Um, But no longer will there be repair procedure or as is, as options, as is, again, being that you're not making it contingent on any inspection things except for potentially the the termite and moisture test. 
Um, and so here we go. We now only have one option, and now it's not even an option. It is just what the contract has in it is a due diligence period. Now, traditionally, due diligence has been deemed too buyer-friendly. Um, and the reason is this. It allows the buyer to essentially back out during the due diligence period for any reason. For any reason whatsoever, the buyer can back out and not be considered in default of the contract, thereby uh, being, in theory, able to get their earnest money back. Now, it's important to realize that this form does actually not uh, discuss earnest money at all from the standpoint of how it might go back to any parties. The way it's handled in South Carolina, if, some, if a buyer backs out, the parties have to come to an agreement on how the earnest money is dispersed, or a court has to has to decide for them. If the court decides, that slows a lot of things down. Um, but a court, if it got to that point, a judge would decide that if someone backed out during their due diligence period, most likely the buyer would get their earnest money back. That is kind of the uh, rule of thumb and, and the way we think of this. Um, however, what's interesting... So when I went to the class with with um, Austin from SCR, he started the class off by asking how many of you think that these changes, because we, we all knew what the changes were, how many of you think that these changes are too buyer-friendly? A handful of people raised their hands. How many, pe- how many of you think that these changes are too seller-friendly? A handful of people raised their hand. Most people, myself included, did not raise our hands. Because my personal opinion is this, it is neither buyer-friendly nor seller-friendly, it is dependent on the market. In a seller's market, it is seller-friendly. In a buyer's market, it is buyer-friendly. And here's why I think that. You say, well, it's due diligence. The buyer can back out for any reason. Isn't that going to to mean that it's just going to be tremendously buyer-friendly? No. Um, In fact, I've heard more angst that it's going to be more seller-friendly friendly than I have from people that that think the reverse. Here's the reason. It includes an additional termination fee. This is in addition to the earnest money. And so the termination fee is basically the buyer saying, if I back out from this contract during my due diligence period, I will forfeit over this termination fee. Um, And the termination fee part of it is honestly the part that I hate about this the most because um, South Carolina, uh, Austin with, with South Carolina Association of Realtors was very clear. Realtors cannot handle the termination fee. It should never change. It should never be touched by a realtor. However, when you deliver notice of, of termination to the seller, you have to include that fee with the notice. And so... Somehow, we're going to have situations where buyers are having to, to travel to, uh, you know, maybe to the closing attorney's office or somewhere neutral to deliver a termination fee. Um, and, uh, you know, Austin went so far as to say that they should take a picture that shows that they have dropped off the termination fee with the appropriate party. Uh, that, that part of it, I'm not super happy about. And, and I'll tell you this right now. A lot of realtors are not going to do that. I'm going to have to figure out where I stand on that because I understand there's a tremendous amount of liability for the realtor 
to be holding onto that check, which is made out directly to the seller, um, rather than, you know, earnest money, which is made out to the attorney, uh, typically the closing attorney. Um, but that is going to be that there's going to be some chaos with that. I, I can already tell you that right now. Um, but the, the real question is, so let me back up for a second. Traditionally, why due diligence has been so buyer friendly is because most people leave that termination fee area blank. And by leaving it blank, it defaults to zero. Now, that's something else that Austin did not like. He, he said, do not leave it blank. Put a number in there. If the number is zero, that's fine. Put a number in there. Um, well, if the number is zero, then yes, it, this is insanely buyer-friendly. The buyer can back out for any reason during the due diligence period with zero repercussions, zero ramifications. Um, but that's not what's going to happen in the market that we're currently in. Now, if our market at some point shifts back to a buyer's market, I absolutely can see that termination fee frequently being zero dollars. Um, and again, the, the reason why we've seen it happen, why I've seen it happen somewhat frequently in the past is simply because due diligence wasn't used that often. It was only used in, in extreme instances, properties that needed tons of work typically. Um, and so it made sense if the property needs a ton of work uh, and the buyer is not able to, to figure out everything during a walkthrough, it makes sense to give them a free look, right? Give them an opportunity to assess everything. And if it's just not, if it just doesn't work for them, then they can buy, then they can back out. Um, but in a seller's market, like what we have right now, I don't think people are going to be giving too many free looks in situations where the homes are just in decent shape, right? If the homes are, in, by all appearances, well-maintained, um, I don't think free looks are going to be given. I think that sellers are going to be requiring that termination fee. Now, how much are the sellers going to be requiring? This is where I have no idea. I Here's what I think. I think it's going to, to probably be most likely either um, $100 for some, maybe 500 for some others, and maybe 1000 for some others. So again, this is the termination fee, and this is in addition to the earnest money. Um, I, I suspect that most of the time, the earnest money will end up being either that on purchase agreements that people send over either $100, $500, or $1,000. Seller only gets that if the buyer backs out during the due diligence period. Now, um, what's the what's the importance about this at the end of the day? Or or what are the potential uh, ramifications for this at, at the end of the day? Well, there's a lot of them. Um, but this is going to become a major negotiation point, I believe. Let's say you get a multiple offer situation and you've got, uh, you know, Joe Smith and Jane Smith, you know, going back and forth, competing in a bidding war for property. And their offers are roughly similar. But Joe has a termination fee of $500 during the due diligence period. But Jane has a termination fee of $2,000 or maybe even more um, if she's very comfortable with the condition of the house. Well, that's a no-brainer. Whoever has more skin in the game is going to get it at the end of the day. And so I think that this is going to end up being one of the most important numbers that uh, that 
sellers are going to be looking at as they're reviewing different offers in in different uh, multiple offer situations. Um, in non-multiple offer situations, again, you, we're probably going to see buyers that are trying to get a free look. And sellers are going to have to determine whether they're comfortable with that or whether they just want to mandate. And we might see this as well. You know, we see I see some listings where it says um, buyer must do at least 1% earnest money. We might see something like that. Buyer must do 1% earnest money and minimum $1,000 termination fee. Um, that's something that can be discussed with a seller. I, I typically don't encourage sellers to make those types of mandates because you never know. People might make do even higher than that. If you say it's got to be a minimum of a certain number, then probably and probably that will also end up practically being the maximum. That's oftentimes what ends up happening is people see that and then just every offer that comes in just has that exact number on it. So I prefer to leave it up to the buyer. And that also tells you a little bit something about the buyer as well, right? Those are ways to kind of read uh, read into what the buyer is thinking. If the buyer just does $100 by default, then either the buyer or the buyer's agent just doesn't really know what they're doing, right? Um, so telling them what to do sometimes... Uh, disavails you from the standpoint of being able to kind of read between the lines on uh, on what people are thinking and, and what their thought processes are. Um, now, another ramification here, as far as repairs are concerned, by default, no repairs have to be done. This is, this is why they did away with the as-is part of the contract as well, is because by default, it already is as-is. The seller does not have to do any repairs. Now, the buyer can still ask for repairs, but the seller doesn't have to do them. And this is where it can can really be seller-friendly is if the buyer has a large termination fee on the line, let's say it's several thousand dollars, and the buyer goes to the seller and says, hey, I want to, uh, you know, we found a bunch of stuff that you need to repair. Um, the seller doesn't have to do any of it. Seller can just say, nope, sorry. And then all that the buyer can do is either move forward or back out and then they have to surrender that termination fee. Um, so that's going to that's going to really be a, a big deal in some of these situations. And buyers are going to have to be very thorough during their uh, walkthroughs and their showings. And I already try to coach my buyers on doing this and try to make sure that we look at you know everything that we can uh, when we're walking through the house. But it's going to be a, a very important. Uh, detail that the um, that you don't buy a house and or, or get a house under contract with a huge termination fee that then ends up needing a lot of work. Um, on the flip side, the buyer can ask now for anything. We're under repair procedure. Technically, you could ask for anything, but the seller only had to do certain items and they would just decline all the others. Now it's it's a lot more negotiable, right? Let's say that you as a buyer you know, you find some structural stuff, you know, in the crawl space. And that obviously needs to be fixed, right? But you don't trust the seller to to fix the structural stuff and you have enough money to do it yourself. But you found that, that like a lot of the windows won't open and close correctly. Um, it can now be a point of negotiation that, you know, hey, we're going to ignore the structural stuff, but these windows need to be fixed. Or maybe they were fogged windows. That was something that repair procedure specifically excluded 
um, as something a buyer could ask for. Now a buyer can ask for that. Sour can say no. Um, and again, uh, this comes down to it's a leverage thing. You know, does the um, do you have leverage to get the seller to do the repairs or not? In a seller's market, typically, you're you're not going to have a ton of leverage. If the seller is urgent to move the house, okay, then you have a lot more leverage. And that's something that I try to read between the lines and try to understand when I'm representing a buyer. Try to try to get down to okay, how motivated is the seller? If we get under contract, are they going to you know, do they have all the time in the world? Are they on a tight time schedule? Are they moving somewhere? Are they going to, you know, just have the house be vacant? Um, if we end up, you know, defaulting or, or backing out of the contract, there, there's a lot of things to consider when it comes to this. Um, but at the end of the day, we're going to have, it, it's going to be chaotic for probably the remainder of the year once this goes into effect, because there's not going to be a standard um, probably for several months. It's going to take us a while to settle on some sort of a standard. And I even asked Austin um, with SCR if he has seen any kind of a standard up to this point with due diligence contracts. Is there anything that's like, you know, okay, typically people do this or typically people do that? And he said, no, there, there's not been any standard. But I think that there will be. I think the market will settle on some sort of a standard um, and I suspect that it'll start with buyers being uh, being more cautious. We're probably going to see a lot of those offers come over either with a blank termination fee, $0 or $100, something like that. Um, and those buyers are just going to get outbid is just what's going to happen. Um, and, and so uh, there will be kind of a period in which everyone needs to get acclimated uh, to this new contract environment and, you know, It'll be a learning experience for everyone, but that termination fee and how all of that goes down is going to to now be a big part of it. And now there's there's going to be uh, I think a lot more negotiation on the front end and in the middle of of the contract as well because of how open ended things are. But all of that to be said, I do think that this is better because it takes out the subjectivity. Now it's just people can just agree on what they want to agree on. They know what the expectations are um, up front to a certain extent. They, they, they understand um, that, hey, we might not be able to get any repairs done or we might be able to get a ton of repairs done or maybe if we find stuff wrong with the house, we can renegotiate things. Um, but we, need, we have some potentially non-refundable money that is being put forth during the due diligence period and we have to be uh, careful, uh, you know, with that money. I think it's going to be harmful. I think it's going to be very difficult for first-time home buyers. I think this this does make it worse for first-time home buyers entering into the seller's market because now they are, you know, if they don't have a lot of money in the bank, now they're potentially risking it when they're uh, when they're buying a house more so than ever. Um, you, you don't want buyers going under contract, you know, with a $500 termination fee, they only have $7,000 in the bank. They've just lost a huge portion of money in the bank if they decide that they want to back out of the house. Uh, so that's something that is is going to be difficult and it's going to be something that we will have to keep monitoring and have to keep following. Um, but we'll see. We've got a few weeks to go before this goes into practice. 
Um, I'm interested in seeing how it works out. I think there'll be a lot of growing pains, but I think in the long run, once everyone figures it out, I think it will be better. I think that it will end up balancing out um, expectations and taking out all the subjectivity that there was before of like, okay, is this is this repair part of the nine categories? What about, you know, oh, appliances aren't included. Okay, why not? Well, okay, there's a roof leak, but the roof has tons of hail damage. You know, I won't be able to get insurance on this roof because it has tons of hail damage, even if they just fix the, the leak. Now, we have the ability for buyers and sellers to work things out with, of course, the fact that there's going to be a lot more mid-transaction types of negotiations happening. But hey, that's what realtors are for. We, a good realtor is a skilled negotiator. I feel like that's something that I do well. And I have a lot of clients that would support me on that. Um, and so we're going to end the show on that note. My contact information, if you do need a skilled negotiator, it is in the show notes. Reach out to me by text, by phone, by email, however you want. And as always, please subscribe to the show. Subscribe to Selling Greenville and whatever podcast app you use. And go ahead and leave a five-star rating, leave a short little review just to let the masses know that this show is out there. And I appreciate you guys. We'll talk again next week.